welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montesi, joined again by AFL legend Warren Treadray. How are you, Treaders? Going well, Monty. A big week in sport. Matildas were sensational. AFL controversy. And uh, looks like the Saudis have got even deeper pockets than we thought. Yeah, there's plenty happening, mate. But let's start with the uh, the issue that's literally turning Adelaide on its head at the moment. And a few Crows fans are losing their head. More than a few, I think. Uh, how did you see the fact that the Crows were cheated out of a crucial win? Well, I thought that's exactly that. But it, you know, it's not deliberate um umpire made a mistake and this is an umpire sadly who had a similar incident um in a showdown many years ago with josh jenkins admitted to kicking a point port adelaide was eliminated from the finals in a showdown and, and life moves on and i've always been a believer that uh well if it happens you get the rub of the green you go back to the 80s and remember the one day cricket there was no review system umpires effectively guessed and hoped for the best sometimes they were howlers sometimes they were right um but yeah, in this situation, I feel sorry for Crows fans because they were coming hard at Sydney. Sydney had been up by about five or six goals, doing it quite comfortably in the wet. And uh, then Adelaide uh, started to storm home. They stormed home with a minute to go. Ben Keys has a shot from the, the boundary, effectively, from a, a ball that had been kicked out of bounds from the old uh, scoreboard pocket, if anyone knows Adelaide. Uh, it was the left of the, the footy oval, if you're talking uh, broadcasting, left of the radio dial. Uh, as they say in radio, um, and he, he slotted it through. I must admit, the first vision I saw of uh, watching at Foxtel at home was I thought it, it clipped the top of the padding. If that's the case, it was a point. The umpire was right there. I thought, well, that's fine. Gee, stiff. Sydney go and milk the clock for another minute and a half and win a really tight game and keep themselves uh, entrenched in the top eight. So all of a sudden, though, the host broadcaster shows the other vision from behind the, uh, the side-on picture and says, no, it was nowhere near the post. No one actually touched it. It was a clear goal. Understandably, fans were filthy. And probably the fans who had the best view, the ones behind the goal umpire who were recording on their own phones for social media. Um, so a, uh, what, $1,000 iPhone probably picks up better vision than the AFL's um, ARC system. Uh, as they use, and they, you know, they, they couldn't tell it with the old, in cricket terms, it was the Snicko technology because the Swans players had hit the post. Um, and they failed, the, the goal umpire failed to send it for review because if it did get sent for review, it would have been thrown out pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, you, we only remarked uh, in our last chat, in our previous episode, you, you were picking apart just the uh, the failures of the score review technology combined with, with human error. I mean, how do you see the response, though, from the club, the Crows, and also the AFL? Uh, I think Adelaide's been pretty measured. Um, no one likes to annoy City Hall, um, the AFL. But, you know, I go back to previous instances. So the AFL was in damage control um, after the game. They had to do something. They had to come out strong, and they did that with Gil McLaughlin, even though a couple of my mates on a on a social media channel thought he'd been dressed like he was duck hunting. He'd left a duck hunting trip to come back and do PR. I know that was harsh. It was just the, the brown um, puffer jacket he was wearing. Um, 
And I think he'd had shoulder surgery too. So he's probably the last thing he needed right now uh, as the outgoing CEO. But this issue has been constant. I thought the AFL jumped on it. Uh, They admitted to, but they had to. You know, it wasn't like it was a so-called duck free to Luke Shuey as a Port fan from the 2017 finals when the AFL admitted that they got it wrong after he kicked the winning goal. Uh, to go into the next round, Port was eliminated um, and they admitted six months later. So I like the fact we had transparency straight away. I like the fact John Olsen, the chairman of the Adelaide Footy Club and former Premier South Australia, went really hard. You know, behind the scenes, what are they threatening? Are you going to take it to the Supreme Court? Well, I know Eddie McGuire probably would. He's that passionate about calling it if he was still in its instance. Um, and I think maybe the Crows could have pushed harder, but no one knows what they're requesting. See, fans are coming out saying, well, we should get eight Friday night games and we should get more commercial opportunities. No, no. The game is already fixed enough. And when I say fixed, it's a fixture. It's not a draw. No one plays everyone twice. It's all about um, getting the most um, bums on seats and also the most commercial dollars in and the highest TV ratings. So I think a simple request Adelaide could make is say, okay, let's make the showdown for the first time ever on a Friday night blockbuster standalone. You know, I think, and then make that Adelaide showdown. I think that would be a, a peacekeeping, good good piece of business that could be done. But I, I'm not sure anyone can demand anything. If Adelaide's serious, the Supreme Court challenge is open because the result is clearly going to affect Adelaide's opportunity potentially to earn more money um, if they make the finals in prize money. Um, also, you know, other other revenue streams that flow on from that, from, you know, sponsor triggers in, in contracts. So if they want to do that, I just don't think it's a great look for the game. I think what it should do and what they should stipulate is, hey, if you want to get that first Friday night game for next year's showdown, the first one that Adelaide will host, do that. And on the other side, get it in fine print, get it in writing that the AFL will review this system, they will spend the million dollars to upgrade the system, they will make a better transition to say that every decision has to be reviewed and if it's quickly reviewed for 20 seconds while it happens, play can come, in that instance, play can go for another 40 seconds, hang on, stop the clock like in our uh, NFL, come back to the minute and 30 left on the clock. That was actually a goal show it on the big screen, and we move forward. Maybe that's the instance we move forward because we just can't have this compromise. You know, this is the second week in a row. You know, from my eyes and the fuzzy vision, I reckon Melbourne kicked a goal, but the vision wasn't good enough. So Carlton wins the game of footy. We don't want that in AFL. But if people are saying they do, let's scrap the system altogether and go back to the umpire's decision. But on the weekend, that decision would still stand. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the the... Among the many frustrations, one of them is that this just should have been resolved a long time ago. Like other sports have had better technology for a long time and we didn't have to be in this situation, but here we are. Um, I do agree that, you know, like what taking it to the courts, like as much as there is absolutely a commercial loss, um, notwithstanding the actual result itself, there was still time on the clock. Who's to see, who's to say how that would have played out uh, it's just one of those ones that I think, unfortunately, we've just got a cop. Yeah, I agree. And also, too, I mean, talk about commercial loss. What about commercial gain for talkback? Yeah, five double over the station I work for in Adelaide. Their phones blew up. Port fans laughing at Crows fans. Crows fans crying their hearts out. Stephen Rowe, commentator, um, going off his chops at anyone who rings making, in. Making national news. Making oh, national mate. news, his blow yeah, up. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's as you say, it's a system that hasn't been good enough for too long. Like, look at... Um, yeah, we we look at the goal line technology in in, in FIFA rolls out, particularly in the, in the World Cup, and Matildas will get to pretty soon. But you, 
I don't like their offside rule because an arm offside running, if your arm's in front of the other person, can say, oh, you're offside, which it's not. So they lose the, the sensibility in the situation. But what it does do is categorically rule out goal line technology in terms of is it a goal, is it not? So why are we in the AFL? Um, in a similar space, yes, the goals go up a lot higher, but if they can do it there, why can't AFL do it and have it clean and have it simple? And also, too, I think I touched on it previously, the umpire make a call. Yeah, if it's a goal, I think it's a goal. If it's a point, I think it's a point. If I don't know, there should be room to say, I actually don't know. I, I was unsighted. I could not see it. I think there needs to be massive money spent. And Andrew Dillon will soon be in the AFL chair with Gil McLaughlin going. Um, let's face it, the AFL's reluctance to move on this has really been astounding over the journey, you know, arguing over who should pay for what. And, you know, when we look at all the different grounds we play at, I think it's in the 16, 17 grounds. You look at the games, that the one-off games in Darwin or Alice Springs or, you know, a few games at Hobart or Launceston or Cairns. We need to be in a situation where the competition is effectively, you're never going to be foolproof, but it's close to it. So that anyone playing at any oval at any place in Australia um, can be treated with the same technology that if you're playing at the MCG on grand final day. All right. Like uh, the rest of Adelaide, I think we're just going to have to move on from this one and uh, move on to the next subject, mate, which is Damien Hardwick's deal. We've been talking about it like everyone else uh, for quite some time. Worst case, uh, worst kept secret. He signed on for six years, Treaders, and it's a bumper deal. Yeah, it's a bumper deal. This I was speaking to someone in Clubland, and and they're expecting it to be about up to eight one point eight a year. So that says it's it's unbelievable, unbelievable money ten point eight million bucks to coach a footy team. And the AFL saying they're not kicking it anymore, but oh, if he wants to do extra work with AFL Queensland, which is effectively funded by the AFL, um, let's face it, it, it. The the sad bit on this. Um, is it seems like it's a bit of a simulation. It seems like Stuart Dew's papers were stamped from a long time ago. Um, it sounds like the AFL and the Suns were biding their time. You know, for a premiership coach who was burnt out, what, what month did he walk? April, maybe, yeah. by memory? He goes overseas for a few months, had multiple trips. Don't get me wrong, he's been a wonderful servant, 13 years at Richmond, three premierships really turned around, helped turn around that footy club with Peggy O'Neill, Brendan Gale and like, um, and obviously the players. But to say you burn out and you leave, to then go, I'm not really interested in coaching, the last thing from on my mind, to then, oh, there's a Gold Coast contingent chasing you in Milan to get your signature and it appears that you got six million, uh, sorry, six years and 1.8 million a year. So about 10 million bucks to coach over the next six years. It just smells as if Stuart Juice papers were already stamped, yeah. And this was orchestrated by the Gold Coast and the AFL who backs and needs the Gold, the Gold Coast to work. It, it just, anyone who doesn't think that thinks it's a coincidence, jeez, I can't buy it. Sorry. Yeah. The whole thing just so orchestrated. It's like, like watching a poorly scripted TV show, to be honest. We all have to kind of watch it and go, oh, yeah, no, this is. It's all just happened. And then the whole, even though a lot of the press conference was, you know, the story was about the trip to Italy and, and all that sort of stuff as if that was the clincher. I'm like, come on guys. Like, like enough of the theater. We're not dumb. Okay. You've done the deal, but I actually think it's pretty, pretty rough on, uh, on Richmond fans. Just quit the pretending. It is what it is. Now we can just move on. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, but it's, you know, the heat, you know, it wasn't so long ago as on Ken Hinckley, Damien Hardwick leaves, Stuart Jew gets sacked. And now looks like the Western Bulldogs, who look like the most safe team to stay in the eight, have actually dropped the game. Um, yeah, uh, against the West Coast team who can't win it pretty much anywhere. So, you know, West Coast, we're talking week to week. Now, I think they came off a 170-point loss or whatever it was in the derby um, in Perth, or the derby as they call it. Um but, yeah, all of a sudden now the Western Bulldogs, who if they just won that game, they would be entrenched in the eight and play finals footy. So the pre- pressure has now turned on to Luke Beveridge. Um, and, you know, they're saying his contract will, will be until the at least the 2025 season. So it, I, I can't see anyone making a move on the premiership coach like that. I think they're certainly making some moves on the outside of him. Um, Rowan Smith is a contract not renewed at the Western Bulldogs as an assistant coach. Um, and you've got your senior coach for the next two years, albeit a, a previous premiership um, senior coach, like Adam Simpson is at West Coast. But the the dogs can't be happy mm. with where they sit because they've got more talent than anyone. They played in a grand final only two years ago. They've been in and around the mark and they've just lost some horrendous games of footy that they should have won this year. Yeah, the heat's on beverage, but you know the club says that he's safe, um, but there it looks like there is going to be some kind of review. So we'll see how that one plays out. But you mentioned West Coast winning. It's, you know, those that would say that, you know, tanking's an issue. Well, West Coast getting the win, costing themselves key draft picks. Kangaroos are now kind of in the box seat at the draft. Yeah, well, Kangaroos have got all those picks in relation to the Port Adelaide Horn Francis mm. deal. So, um, yeah, West Coast got involved in that and did split some picks with the with the Roos involved in that trade because that bumper trade included a West Coast player too, Junior Rioli at the time. But, yeah, as you say, West Coast were locked and loaded for pick one and now it looks like they've slipped to pick two. So uh, the Kangaroos now had the huge draft haul and, um, yeah, that's that's the challenge. And even Adam Simpson joked. He said, we tried to tank post-game. Oh, I think someone would have said, don't say that, mate. Don't say that. But, yeah, he's, he's a very dry character. Um, I went to Ireland with him many years ago. But, yeah, that's what everyone was talking about. But they had a great win. And it just proves they're still trying to hang in. They're still trying to perform. Yeah, albeit they've had three superstars of their club retire. Last bit of uh, AFL business news. We saw the announcement of equal prize money. So the the top eight AFLW teams are going to split 1.1 mil, um, which is the same as the AFL men. Uh, you know, as we're we're about to unpack the Women's World Cup and the Matildas, you're going to see a lot more pressure for uh, sports administrators to throw money at uh, women's sports teams. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, too, I think this is a show of good faith because um, I know there were conversations had within the AFLW ranks to say, hey, there's not going to be any more games than 10 um, for a minor round plus a couple of finals uh, after all the teams now have got an AFLW licence. And the reality is, um, Nicole Livingston, I think, is doing a really good job on it. But the reality is you've got you know, for, to, to keep asking for more pay. And I think the the, the pay is topped out about 70000 to... Um, effectively top players and then franchise players can get involved in that coaching system amongst the AFL as well. Uh, I know Aaron Phillips, uh, arguably the greatest player in AFLW, is doing that at Port Adelaide. Chelsea Randall's doing that at Adelaide. Um, I think Daisy Pierce may have even been doing a similar type of role at Geelong, but it's not playing anymore. So there are those opportunities, but in terms of the actual annual salaries, um, they'll be, I reckon they'll be held for quite some time because yeah, there's a lot of talk around that the men are willing to 
help support the game, which they are, and hence why you're seeing um, the similar prize money. Um, but, you know, the, the clear numbers say that the women's game needs to continue to grow because the AFL ticked over 7 million fans um, for their season uh, recently, put out the press conference, and last year the AFL women did 400,000 fans. So it, it, it needs to continue to improve, continue to grow, create revenue, but this is a good step in the right direction in terms of splitting the prize money and giving a, a nice, decent chunk to whoever um, wins the prize money come grand final time because that's serious money. Indeed. Now, traders, we're going to spend a fair bit of time unpacking the Women's World Cup uh, and the efforts of the Matildas to go as far as they did and kind of capture the the heart of the nation. Now, the good thing is we've been able to gather a fair bit of data in terms of uh, all of the, the key business metrics behind the tournament. It was a, a pretty amazing, actually, record-breaking uh, competition heralding, I think, a new dawn for women's soccer in Australia and the world. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. A few years ago when it was played in America, it was like, wow, America's captured in terms of the fans are into it and Australia has now followed suit. Um, record attendance is nearly 2 million, so 1.978 million, and that was compared to 1.1 in 2019. So that's 800-odd thousand more. That's huge. Uh, talk about a total TV audience or, or streaming audience in all, uh, 45.1 million total audience, an average of 6.5 million views a game. And the beauty of this one, you know, comparatively, it, it can change because technology is improving so fast in terms of streaming. I know of all things, I think I might have said, you know, we were at a Ming Palace last week, which is a Chinese restaurant on Guja Street in Adelaide for my mother-in-law's 70th birthday. And um, all of a sudden, there's five tables there with mobile phones streaming. Three of them are on our table. And then everyone was on difference of delay watching this same game. So that's how, how it can it can travel with you. you know, in the old days, anyone going out for dinner wouldn't see the game. It wouldn't be broadcast. It'd just be on the TV in, in free-to-air TV. So I think that's where the beauty of things have, have continued. And you know, as you say, it's the biggest streaming in Australian sport history. Mm. You know, not, not only just sport, sports history. And that is absolutely massive. So... Um, it wasn't so long ago we were talking about, or maybe they didn't have broadcast rights and you know, people yeah. in Europe were going to be blacked out of it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, even the um, the European broadcasters would be would be stoked because, you know, as we, were, we talked about it a few times where they were locked in a bit of an arm wrestle with FIFA because the time zones didn't work too well. They didn't want to pay enough. Uh, FIFA threatened them. They obviously coughed up some dough. It wouldn't have been top dollar. I don't think we had the exact numbers. But then, but the uh, the audiences that they ended up drawing in were excellent. So, like the UK, the final drew twelve million viewers on BBC One. So that that this data only just came out uh, overnight. So that made it the most watched women's soccer match in UK history and the second most watched event for BBC this year, behind the inauguration of the King. So <laughs> massive, massive numbers. Uh, and in Spain. 5.6 million watched the final, peaking at 7.4 million viewers. And interestingly, 56.2% of viewers were male. So that's that's some uh, interesting data. And it wasn't just the final as well. The numbers were really strong uh, throughout the other finals and the matches as well. So, uh, geez, FIFA would be absolutely pumped with just the global uh, interest uh, and and FIFA boss Gianni Infantino called it the best women's world cup ever 
Uh, they actually broke even for the first time, generating US $570 million. So so prior to this, FIFA's been investing in the women's game, just putting cash yeah. in, expecting to lose. And now they've broken even, generated the second highest income of any sport, which actually just followed the men's uh, World Cup. So uh, you can see, I, I saw the uh, the interview with old, old Gianni. He was licking his lips. Yeah, well, and so they should because they've done a wonderful uh, job in growing the game and, and more in uh, particular the ladies. You know, the, the women, it's their sport. They've driven it hard. They're the ones promoting. The Matildas brand is as high as you get. And you talk about prize money with the Matildas. They scored $3.8 million for their fourth position. Yeah, the, the men's fourth gets $38 million. So for all the people that go, oh, yeah, 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 it should be the same. But yeah, you, you talk about the difference. Um, men's soccer generates $7.4 billion compared to... Um, to the women's 900 million. So anyone who says pay parity, well, I think the girls get a far greater share of the prize money. So that, that's a, a lot better. Um, and I just think where this game is is heading, it's now giving an opportunity for young girls all around the world to um, and an equal opportunity that young men have had for many, many years where the men have always been able to do that. You know, I, I go back to the AFLW story of Aaron Phillips played at Smosh West Lakes, which is in the western suburbs of Adelaide, got to under 16s, dominated the boys, couldn't play any further, went off and played professional basketball on, um, and won a WNBA championship and I think an Olympic silver or bronze medal at the time. So I think it's great that, you know, the the, the talk even last week is that if Sam Kerr had an, a... A, um, an opportunity to play AFLW, she would have because her dad played um, uh, Sample and Waffle Footy. Her brother played in the AFL. So I think now the, the opportunity for young women at any sport, but I think the team that, the, the team and the sport that's going to benefit mostly is right now is the Matildas because they're the hottest brand and then there is an Australian uh, female sports. Even though, for example, netball, we spoke weeks ago, they won the World Championship, but no one got any coverage out of it. I think it's hysteria that this is talked is amazing. But I think also, Monty, sometimes the hysteria can tip over too far, and it always comes to a politician. Oh, the Queensland yeah. Premier has come out and said she wants to build a bronze statue of Sam Kerr and the Matildas next to Wally Lewis outside Suncorp Stadium. I can't believe this. We finished fourth. What happens if we go and finish first? Now, our netballers got nothing. There's no one putting our netballers in a bronze statue for winning, what, our 15th World Championship or something crazy like that. Um, just stay out of politics, sport, please. Yeah, I mean, we, we had the... Should, uh, I say, should I say stay out of sport, please, politics, not the yes, other way around? Correct. You know, we had we had the Prime Minister first coming out with the very early crow on the public holiday call, which, you know, made himself look look silly. <laughs> Like, I think I don't even know if they'd got on the. Uh, were we in the quarterfinals at the time? It was just very early to go on the public holiday call. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, unbelievable! And that's the same prime minister. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it anyway. But like, particularly that early, and they even like, I think there was some uh, very reasonable criticism of that, saying you actually heap a like you put a lot of pressure on players as well. And actually, the nation is now expecting a public holiday. Yeah. So you can still win another couple of games. Yeah, and that's from the same statute. Prime Minister who said, Oh no, I won't ever be one of those coattail prime ministers if I'm elected. Well, that's exactly what you've done, mate. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of the statue, like there's no doubt that this uh this bunch of players, the Matildas, are certainly pioneers, but you know, you would expect that uh if this momentum continues, as it should, that that this team will continue to go on to have success after success. And then we could look pretty silly in 10 years' time when we've got statues up for the team that came fourth 
when you know yeah. in the years ahead there should actually be you know many more uh successes that would be worthy of statues i mean why do we have to why does it have to be a statue how many why statues? do we have to have a statue why do we have to have a name on a stand why can't we just leave people clean skins and everyone just remember wonderful performances anyway because we all know about it we all know where we were yeah I mean, Sir Donald, Brab- Sir Donald Brabman out the front of Adelaide Oval, no worries. It's the Don. Like, yeah. like, let's keep statues as special as we possibly can. Yeah. And um, one thing that you won't ever get back is the uh, Spain boss kiss star Jenny Hermoso on the lips in the celebrations. <laughs> you, you can't write it off as a European thing. This has caused a massive uh, blow up and understandably a dampened celebrations. God, he'd have to be pretty sheepish now. But yeah, he is. He's come out and apologised what, now. What's he thinking? Yeah, I don't know. Look, I know he's excited, but wow. Yeah, uh, very poor. And uh, and I think she was a bit uncomfortable, rightly so, uh, and and even more uncomfortable once it kind of blew up on, on social media and everywhere else. Very, very silly stuff. But um, now in terms of the, the impact of the uh, Women's World Cup, and and the Matildas, I think we're going to see this obviously uh, kind of ricochet into many other women's sports. I mean, the Aussie government, as we said, the government is just all over this, trying to extract as much PR as they can. They're now investing 200 mil into uh, women's sports via the Play Our Way program, which is awesome and well overdue in terms of improving facilities and, and, and equipment. Um so that's great. I mean, what else? I mean, what do you think in terms of the the broader impacts here, Treaders? Well, I think it needs to be it needs to come from people because if you love your Matildas and you love your soccer, you got to go and you know you got to go and support the W League, right? And, and, and that let's it's not to the level that the Matildas is like because it's it's a smaller lower level. It is crammed against an A League season. That is the challenge. It's no different to the AFLW. If you love your women's footy, you've got to go and support there and spend your money there because that's how you grow your game. Simply sitting and watching from TV on, on TV at home, you know, a lot of the, the female um, sports are broadcast on TV at a loss to the network. So there needs to be that funding. There needs that, that, that support behind it. And, and if you talk about that donation or that, that investment of $200 million, that comes at below, I think it was 270 or $80 million for the Tassie AFL licence. So um, that's where the opportunity needs to be to grow. So if you want the sports to grow, it needs to be on free to air and it needs to scratch its own back in terms of having enough people at the game so the stadiums are full um, and people supporting, you know, speaking to an AFL football club director. And when I say AFL, AFL and AFLW, they're saying the revenues that they're creating in sponsorship is very big, but the attendances need to keep growing and it needs to be a, um, a product on TV that people are going to watch significantly, like we touched on before, when you've got 400,000 people uh, attending a game as uh, a season as opposed to 7 million people. Um, and the TV audiences need to grow, and, and that's the challenge, and that is the challenge to anyone who wants to support and get out there and support all different types of sport, then you need to obviously do it by watching it on TV or getting to games and putting your hard-earned money in because that's what grows the sport. Yeah. I mean, I hope that uh, the Football Australia stewards the the opportunity well. I mean, that's always something that I've got uh, great concerns about, but uh, it's an interesting a uh, bit of a line in the sand moment for other sports as well. Like you're, we've already seen the uh, Wallaroos come out and kind of choose this as their moment to push for better conditions. 
Okay, just about every player published a pretty stunning open letter on on social media targeting Rugby Australia traders. Yeah, well, they told us you were flying anything beyond economy was too costly. Then you flew the Wallabies business club on a trip shorter than ours. They let it begin. So, you know, they told us your full-time contracts were a pipe, pipeline, but there wasn't enough money to keep um, the men in the game, let alone us. And then you paid $5 million for an NRL player. Oh, I get this frustrations. I get all that. But it's all about growing a product. And as I said, the product needs to grow and they need to grow concurrently. Um, there, there's a, it, it just depends which thought. You can take the misogynistic thought that some people and men might have to go, oh, well, it's going to scratch its bone back the whole way. Well, I'm not a believer in that. I'm a believer that, you know, I like what the AFL men are doing, the AFL, AFL competition, and then, supporting and help support the AFLW competition. They're effectively governed by the same clubs. There's a lot of crossover, a lot of promotion, coaching opportunities, both sides, uh, even opportunities for current players to coach in the women's program if they choose to do that, to upschool themselves, to give back to the women's game, but also upschool themselves for life after their career is done. So I think the, the flow through you can get the most um, and the, the more symmetry, the better, because if you look at, some of the big sponsorships going around. What would you rather be, a sponsor who just supports a men's game or a women's game? Well, there is those. Yeah, and there's a lot that are just women's only. I think that has been the upside in the discussion with that AFL director I was talking to is to say that there's a lot of big sports, you know, the, the likes of Santos, I think he's sponsored Port, of BHP, sponsor Adelaide. Uh, they, they want to be in because they want to improve their, their female's workforce in their workforce. So there is those opportunities. But if you can uh, merge together and operate together as one, I think it's always going to help grow that brand because let's face it, the AFLW is in direct competition with the Matildas, right? The AFL competition is in direct competition with Soccer Australia, also with Rugby Australia, Rugby Union Australia. Yeah, I think that that's what we need to realise and we realise pretty soon. The same thing with basketball. Basketball seems to have a good synergy, but also too, we've got to grow the, the WNBL. Yeah, we need to be funding those sorts of sports too. So we're in a situation where there is a lot of competitive market for the young child who's going through their primary school. They've got these great opportunities to go, I want to play sport. Which sport do I want to play? Yeah. Now, I don't know if... Uh... If maybe Dan Andrews might be regretting even more pulling out on the Com Games after seeing the success of hosting the Women's World Cup, uh, you know the appetite for having these huge international competitions. But he he made that decision that we both agree was crazy to to pull out on the Com Games, and not only that, uh, the taxpayer now has to pay a fair bit of compensation, traders. Yeah, Victoria has to pay three hundred eighty million in compensation. Yeah, and what, what's been tied up in a nice little bow here is that the, the, the uh, negotiations were in confidence, and everything's got a confidentiality around it. So, not only is he not not going to be able to be um, hold over the calls in Parliament, the media aren't going to be able to do it too because there's no detail apart from three hundred eighty million in compensation. So, yeah, we'd you'd love to know total transparency on this because let's face it, if if you're a government and you're spending taxpayer funds, it needs to be transparent. Why are we paying 380 million? What's the deal that you've done? What have you promised or what have you not told us that's true? It just it just smells and stinks from the outside. Yeah, and he's still out there as as he does, pumping it up, saying that he say, still saved the taxpayer four billion dollars because of the uh, cost blowout. So he's trying to say that it's uh, that it's actually yeah. a good thing. The uh, yeah. 380 mil compo. 
Yeah, he's done really well considering he's signed us up for it. So not only has he signed us up to something that was probably going to be a challenge to work anyway when it's in regional Victoria and the money it would have cost to set it up, that then he's gone, oh, the money I'm going to set it up, as you say, uh, I'm going to save that. But because I have to save that, I have to write a cheque for $380 million. How about don't sign up for something you're not willing to go through with? That's it. Now, Treaders, we've got another World Cup coming up. FIBA World Cup starts this Friday. Yeah, take on, uh, tip off again, uh, again, Finland on Friday night. Um, games, you know, as we said, played across uh, Philippines, Japan, Indonesia. Philippines have sought to squash security concerns, deploying an extra 4,400 police officers and armed uh, officers into action for the event. So uh, as always with these big events, you want to make sure security is pretty tight. Um, meantime, the Boomles uh, tunneled France in a warm-up match. So Lando out, green, minor ankle, and all of a sudden our guys are dropping like flies, sadly. Yeah, a little bit concerning, but um, I mean, green should be okay. Landau is uh, out, unfortunately, but still a really strong team, I think. Uh, gosh, the the majority of the squad is playing NBA, apart from a few of the NBL guys that have, that have slipped in. So looking forward uh, to that. Now, uh, over to cricket treaders, and we've seen the uh, Aussie openers have already setting themselves up uh, for for life after sport, and but they're going to be sticking together. Yeah, well, this is the interesting thing. We're talking about Usman Khawaja and Dave Warner. Well, Dave Warner signed on with Foxtel last year, late last year in the Australian summer, to do some commentary with the Big Bash, and they're effectively, Fox is smart. They're locking away the next generation commentators. Because as we know, between Seven and Fox, there's a huge amount of uh, competition. There's also the radio networks that then jump in amongst those. So what normally happens is in the hour, 20 minutes they'll spend on TV, 20 minutes on radio and have a 20 minute break. So they just keep revolving um, the dial, so to speak. So um, yeah, Foxtel have jumped in pretty hard. They've signed up Usman Khawaja to uh, provide his analysis um, at the Cricket World Cup in India, then moved into a commentary uh, full-time post-career. So, and they understand these boys. They're well into their 30s, even though they're playing still pretty good cricket, is that it's a little bit life after. When I first saw this, Monty, I thought of a guy called Tom Brady. And, and no, it's not 50 million US a year to commentate, like Tom Brady's new deal, I think, at Fox's once he retires... Um, uh, in uh, playing in the NFL, um, is that this is smart. I think this is good business. Um, as, a, as, a, as a punter, I want to hear from um, the current players. I want to hear from people fresh out of the game, what's going on, what happens in the change rooms, what's the coach say, what, what, he, what, what sort of sledging's going on. You want that insight. And I thought Dave Warner provided that last year, even though I didn't think from the top of my mind that he'd be that commentator type. I was pleasantly surprised um, by him playing in the Big Bash has helped as well um, in terms of their tactics they're trying to implement. And, and for me, who is an Adelaide Strikers fan, you go, well, hey, I'm happy to tune in and listen to Sydney play because i got Dave Warner telling me what's going on and giving me some insight. I think this is a great move by Fox and uh, I would suspect that probably Channel 7, whether they're still cricket, uh, committed to cricket or not with everything that's gone on in the courts, uh, they'd have to start thinking about well, who's their next transition and who's their people they next want to talk to over the journey to lock away as their next commentators. Yeah, I think it's a good move as well. Uh, and speaking of good moves, Ange Postacoglu, he's got his first win in the Premier League, Tratters. Yeah, he has, Monty, um, the Aussie manager. And he's also got a ripping song too that the, uh, the Tottenham faithful sing to him. Uh, two zip over Manchester United is a pretty good start. Um, and as we say, he's still working with his squad and, He's only a few weeks in, 
um, in terms of the English Premier League season after losing Harry Kane to Bayern Munich. So it's been a wonderful start for him. Um, got an injury to Maddinson, uh, one of his gum players that he signed from Leicester City. So hopefully he's all right there. But uh, I, I was lucky enough to interview Ange many years ago when I was working in radio at Triple M. Um, and I just got a good feel for him. He's just one of those really no BS, call it as he sees it, hard ass. But he's a kind of player, a coach, or in soccer terms, manager you'd want to play for. And everywhere he seems to go, they, they speak glowingly of him, and they love him the how he goes about it. Yeah, early days to have a song sung about you though, but that's kind of the the nature of the beast when you're playing at that level. They're gonna love you with all of their hearts and then they're going to despise you with all of your hearts when if you if you lose a few games yeah they don't mess around do they but it's funny isn't it that yeah you talk about loving you with all your hearts that's exactly what's happened into miami at the moment um the messy impact has just gone absolutely crazy they won the league's cup over the weekend and prior to messi yeah they were the worst team in the league and let's face it this is what some people don't realize at the moment the mls season effectively has had a bit of a break um, the Inter-Miami is still sitting bottom of their conference. There's two conferences, East and West, and they're bottom of their conference. But the, this is effectively a, a, a cup which involves Mexico as well. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really good gesture too with the um, the trophy that was about to be awarded. He took off the armband and gave to the former skipper who he'd replaced. So I think there's a good feel. It appears like there's a good feel. Clearly, they're going places. They won't be on the bottom for long in the MLS um, genuine season, but... Yeah, I think it's it, it's been it's been a great setup, and you know you talk about the final that they played in for this league's cup in Nashville. Some of these tickets were going for eight thousand US dollars. That's not happening if Messi's not playing. So yeah. I, I think this has only been a, a massive shot in the arm for the MLS and yeah. into Miami. Into Miami, and it's been a a wonderful deal. I'd love to know the exact details of this deal that David Beckham and Co struck for him, but. I'd suspect that it's paying dividends as we speak. Yeah, it's an interesting one. He what I what I like about it is yeah, there's the the commercial return, and you know we love talking about the big the big numbers on on our show and and what have you. But the difference with Messi is he's invested in in building this league. So, uh, and even just hearing him speak, he did a press conference uh, prior to the match, and he was talking about how he believes that the MLS can be as strong as the European leagues, and clearly he wants to be part of that growth, and his deal is invested in that growth. So I think even he probably won't know right now what he will stand to make from his investment in this. That's kind of what I like about it as well. He's He's got skin in the game in the, in the whole league. Um, and, you know, the timing is just perfect as well. Like the U.S. is going to host the uh, 2024 Copa America. Then they got the 2025 FIFA Club World Cup and then the 2026 World Cup. So he's positioned himself beautifully to really cash in and and, and build this league. Uh, and yeah, as you said, like, you know, he's, he, he, those gestures were handing over the captaincy armband, like he's still maintaining uh, that level of humility, Treaders, whereas some superstars uh, probably don't have that that level of humility. No, they don't. And that gets us to our next move, Brazilian superstar Neymar. Um, he has left Paris Saint-Germain. He is now, gosh, as we've reported before, he's off to Saudi Arabia, Al-Hilal team. Um, part of his deal that's coming out is a sweetener. And, and Messi could have these type of deals set up, but it's not public. Whereas everything in Saudi Arabia is just in your face. Here we go. Like, listen to this. He's got a house with 25 bedrooms. Why? 
this is a bloke I think with one child. Um, I'm not sure he's still he's not with the mother of his child. I think he's got a girlfriend and he's got a heap of gangster mates that hang with him. Yeah. Uh, Forty ten meter pools, three saunas, five full time staff, the use of a private jet at his own disposal, a Bentley Continental, and Aston Martin DBX, a Lamborghini Hurricane, and a t- with a twenty four hour driver. And if you got a Lamborghini, you'd be driving yourself, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want someone to be driving. Well, yeah. maybe you just have a few at the local <laughs> Maybe if he rolls on ankle. All right. Um, there's also talked about all the bills from hotels, restaurants, services on his day off to be paid by the club. thousand, um, uh, I think that is, per social media post in Saudi Arabia. And on top of that, he gets paid 4.8 million Aussie a week for his two-year deal. Or if you want to talk about English pounds, two and a half million English pounds per week. It makes him less than Ronaldo. But this is absolutely unbelievable. And also, too, I read something in The Sun in the UK, which is a bit of a gossipy mag, but soccer-related info. And they said, as there is no drinking, and partying and nightclubbing in Saudi Arabia, they believe that they even some of these players might have clauses in their contracts that they are able to go to private nightclubs, make them in hotels in their own rooms, as long as they don't go out in public, and party and drink, um, have clauses in their contracts because otherwise certain players weren't going to actually go to Saudi Arabia. It's unbelievable. So they've got a better deal than most people that live there. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I I do know some people that have worked in Dubai and other um, other nations that have similar rules around alcohol, and uh, they certainly have rules uh, or they have ways around it. That's for sure in terms of hotels and and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, the it's just so lavish. Like just the uh, the expression of of wealth is just out of control and you know you compare Messi and you compare Neymar it's uh as you said Messi could have had all of this and more uh but but chose a, a different path he chose a different path but you know what he he may have all this and more mm. we we don't know that that's the beauty of this deal because it, it, one is structured as here we will provide this the other one is structured effectively the Messi deal is here we'll provide this but we're going into partnership with you with this, with the MLS, with this, with revenue, with this, with Apple, with this, with Adidas. So there's no doubt there's more um, commitment that Messi would have to make as a, as, a, as a partner in this in growing the game. But I think in the long term, I think the greater legacy will be left probably in American sport on gut feel as opposed to um, the Saudi Arabian sport right now. Now, to get all of the the details and all of the notes from this chat, uh, make sure you subscribe for our newsletter, www.thebigdeal.au. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.